Welcome. Yesterday we had the announcement of the opening of a new university, the University of Austin. And this was an announcement that made the news on social media and it created a lot of reactions. Now you would say there are hundreds of universities in America, hundreds of universities in the West. Who cares if a new university is announced? The reason why this made the news is because it's a university that claims that it's here to change the model of higher education. It's a university, the University of Austin in Texas, that claims that it wants to change, uh, to change the ethos and the culture of higher education. So today, with Jonathan, who is already ready to end with his homework notes, we're going to discuss, first of all, what are the things that need to change in academia? So why the need for a new university or for a new educational institution? But what is perhaps even of more interest to me is why this created such a reaction. So if you go on Twitter, you're going to see many academics being very sarcastic or very negative with this new endeavor. And also, if we get the time, we might discuss a bit the idea which is very prevalent in objectivism that to change the world, you need you start by changing the philosophy and changing the culture. But we're going to try to chew it a bit more. What does, this, what does this exactly mean? What would it look like to change the culture? And could this begin by establishing new institutions like new universities? Spoiler alert, my take is going to be, it's a bit more complicated and difficult than that, but let's see where we get. Jonathan, thanks for being with us today. Well, I'm excited, you know, Nikos, I was among those who had just heard about this new university through the, the you know, the, the, the headlines, if you will. And as you said, I mean, it's pretty rare when new institutions of learning get the type of media coverage that the University of Austin has already gotten. I mean, Bloomberg, CNN, the New York Times, a lot of other, uh, and in fact, it's, it's bolstered by some pretty big intellectual heavyweights. I'll share my screen for a moment here, people like, uh, Neil Ferguson, Barry Weiss, as you mentioned, Joe Lonsdale, Alian Hersey Ali, Robert Zimmer, Steven Pinker. I mean, there's a lot of big names involved with it. I am Deirdre McCloskey, a big, another big someone I no, really this respect. Is, this is a, a this is not just as they say being started with somebody in in their basement and a, and a website. There's some really heavy hitters uh, already on board with this. And as I already posted on my social media outlets, I think it's already past time to see some objectivists as part of this. They need to be, and objectivism needs to be as part of the founding, the early days of what I think is a really exciting initiative. In fact, some, I think you could say friends of objectivism, certainly friends of ob objectivists like uh, Lex Friedman, I know, is, is already involved with it as well. So I'm extraordinarily in, in excited about this and it, it's beyond past its, its time. I mean, thinking back to some of Ms. Rand's quotes about education, this is from philosophy who needs it, the essay she, this is quoted, was written in 1970. And she said back then, Nikos, I'm quoting now, the Academia Jet Set Coalition is attempting to tame the American character by the deliberate breeding of haplessness and resignation in those incubators of lethargy known as progressive schools, which are dedicated to the task of cripplings, a, crippling a child's mind by arresting his cognitive development she references her essays, The Campachicos. It appears now again, quoting, that the progressive rich will be the first victims of their own social theories. It is the children of these well-to-do 
who emerged from expensive nursery schools and colleges as hippies and destroy the remnants of their paralyzed brains by means of drugs. And when you look at now, the, those were the nursery schools in the 70s, that progressive, I'm speaking philosophically now, ideology, it so apparently has, has uh, come out and become part of the university. I mean, it rules the university. And Nikos, here's the best example. I mean, this made headlines and Barry Weiss covered this in her substack. You had a psychologist, a psychiatrist invited to speak at Yale who apparently spoke of fantasies of shooting white people. So look, you're in the university much more than I, I've been in the university in thankfully more than 20 years. But what I read and what I see says that this type of educational revolution, re revolution, philosophical revolution is long past due. It's long past due indeed. And we need to ask those some questions. And the main question is, how do we explain that in almost every university, you have the same ideas being taught without though having someone who is, let's say, in charge of passing the line to universities? So, so how it is that the universities, this institution in society, where all the major ideas start from it. So if you think about critical race theory, if you think about intersectionality, all these ideas that today are at the center of the culture wars began from the universities, began from the academia, or even uh, uh, theories like uh, post-structuralism, post-modernism, these terms that we vaguely have in our minds that have formed in a way, the way we view the world have started from academia. Here's a big question then. How is it that universities are like almost this monolithic producer of ideas and this monolithic producer of culture? And for me, in order to understand this, you need to realize that universities are not operating in, let's say, a market of ideas. There's not this market of ideas and whoever wins, we have these uh, ideas being more powerful in universities. You need to realize university as part of shall we call it a system as part of a quote elites as part of a regime i i view it as a re, how it's called revolting doors uh, where the you the revolving door sorry so think about it this way the university and the state administrators and the straight bureaucracy and more and more also the bureaucracy in big businesses is a revolving door so in a way the state is funding the university and the university is giving back the state allegiance to what we could call dominant culture, dominant ideas, dominant ideology. And at the same time, these two institutions are in a constant, let's say, back and forth. It's, and the, it's, the, it's not a virtuous cycle. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah, it's a, you, could see, you could see it as a vicious cycle. And the, the number one way where you can see this is actually two areas. One is the whole discussion about, for example, climate change. And again, I'm not talking about this in terms of a vicious or something bad, but the obvious thing is we, we think there's a big problem here and there's money on the table to do research on this problem and then to tell us what we do. So you realize that this all, it's already, it creates a system which I'm not saying it's cute, but there are temptations there to be corrupted in some way by this back and forth or think about our reaction as a society to the pandemic in some ways you had academics telling governments what to do and the government's telling to academics in a way what we want to hear so yeah, I mean, that's why I mean, i'm not i don't think it's so simple that they're going to be 
different educational institutions. And then suddenly there's going to be this free market of ideas and it's going to change the culture. The university is very, very, very central part of whatever today you want to call dominant ideas, zeitgeist, the regime, power elite, however you want to call it. It's a very, very central institution of it. And it's very, well, very it's, easy it, to disrupt. And it's, well, and it's central, you know, Nikos, I, I know you'd agree with this idea that, you know, as objectivists, Dr. Brooke in particular, talk about the need for a separation between state and economics. And I, my sense, I think you'd agree with the idea of between state and ideas as well. But yet certainly here in the states, and my guess is completely throughout Europe and the UK as well, the state and education are so inextricably intertwined that you really don't, you don't know where one starts and the other begins. I think that's part of what's so exciting about this University of Austin project as Barry Weiss and, and they're talking about it. I mean, you know, Nikos, they say, the, again, this is quoting from this, art, uh, this article from the university's presidents, we can't wait for the universities to fix themselves. So we're starting a new one. They're trying to go outside the, the whole process. And they quote, uh, Pano is this gentleman's name. Some of these statistics, Nikos, forget even you know a, a particular issue like climate change, nearly a quarter of American academics in the social sciences or humanities endorse ousting a colleague for having a quote, wrong opinion about hot button issues such as immigration or gender differences. So that's exactly what you're saying is here. It's, it's not just that other ideas aren't welcomed and evaluated, but they're, they're, they're particularly, uh, like they're hunted down and killed. And you know, Barry Weiss and a lot of these academics talk about the need for truth and even objectivists. I mean, we're not looking to find mis you know, the objectivist idea. We're gonna search, I think, I'm gonna search for truth. You wanna know the truth. And it just seems like on campuses, you live on them, you work on them. Truth is hunted down and exterminated. It just and seems to be the- But here's the important thing. On. It's not hunted down because there is like an official line. You just learn that this is how you play in the game. And most people in academia are actually cynics. They're not fanatics. They might not agree with all these things, but they realize that these are the rules of the game. This is where the funding comes from in terms of your research. Uh, I was reading that in something like one in five university jobs in the United States these days, as part of your application, you have to explain how your research and your work will promote diversity, inclusion, and all that stuff. So in a way, it's a test to filter out. Do you know to speak the regime language? Are we on the same page here? And notice that this is not only in social sciences. I had this experience. I had to apply in a job in San Diego some years ago in a university in San Diego. And I had to explain how my research would improve diversity in five or, no, sorry, in eight areas. I don't even remember the eight areas, uh, gender, race, and like that. None of these eight areas was diversity of ideas, of course. And I didn't even apply because it was impossible to, to tick all these boxes. Now, as I said, I found very interesting what was the reaction among academics on this new university. And if you see on Twitter, you will see people talking about, oh, this is the new Trump university. Although, by the way, I don't know a single of these people who you mentioned being, quote, Trumpians. Uh, someone else said, oh, are they going to offer a degree in, in fundamentals of fascism? Another very common critique that, oh, this is uncredited. And someone says, oh, they won't even grant degrees. So what's about this? What's about uh, these are just grifters. So again, notice 
the image we had of the progressive educator, at least when I was growing up, is someone who is listening to Pink Floyd, The Wall, and talking about all you want is another brick in the wall. And here we have the same milieu, let's say, the same generation or their intellectual heirs, and they see that there's one educational institution who is slightly different, and then we have this per classing, how dare you, you're grifters, you're not accredited, you're not authorized, I mean, by whom? Like, that's, that's not the point. Is the point of the university that officially someone from the state would say, yes, you are a good, uh, you're a good university. Or another critique, uh, lol, it's fun that conservatives feel so marginalized, so they have to open their own universities. Well, would we say this for any other group that, again, we, cele we celebrate the idea of uh, if you're marginalized, you have to speak up. Would we say about any other group, lol, these people think they're marginalized? So well, and, and just for the record, this university this not... shows me that this university has something to offer. I mean, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know. But the, the way the academic community reacted to this new endeavor shows maybe why this new endeavor was actually needed. Well, and, and for the record, uh, you look at the, at least the board of advisors here. Uh, I don't follow politics very closely. Thankfully, it's an uh, my sense is it's even slightly bigger cesspool than academia is now, but this to me seems like a pretty interesting mix of people from a lot of different backgrounds, at least. I mean, Larry Summers is certainly not a Trump guy. I mean, he was, I believe, Clinton's uh, or labor secretary or treasury secretary. As you said, Deidre McCluskey, Rob Henderson, Jonathan Rausch. So there's, there's people from all over kind of the, the, the spectrum there more than anything, Nikos. But you know, your point about, at least as it currently stands, the way that a differing thought is approached. I mean, here's again some of the, the statistics. A third of conservative academics and PhD students said they've been threatened with disciplinary action for their views. Now, I don't care if you're, you know, uh, uh, like right-wing, left-wing conservative, but, you know, to be threatened with disciplinary action, not for your actions, you know, I, I don't know, held an astroword con Astroworld concert and people got trampled to death, but your views, simply your views, you know, at least when I was on campus, Nikos, that was, this is in the early 90s, there was still that sense that what was exciting about the university is that opposing views could come and, if you will, kind of battle it out. If there was a place for opposing views to come and kind of have that marketplace of ideas, but that is gone completely, it seems, and that's what makes part of what these people are doing at the University of Austin so exciting. So, I definitely recognize what you say, but I want to be a fair and I wouldn't say it's completely the case. So, for example, I've worked in three different universities. In all three universities, it was very clear that ideologically I'm an outsider. In 10 years, I had only one kind of weird experience, and but nothing major. And actually, uh, very soon, I will be transitioning from a job in the academia, let's say the conventional academia, to one of these new educational institutions, not the Austin, the, not the University of Austin. Well, uh, it's going to be the Ayn Rand University and it's going to be the development of the objectivist academic, of what today is the objectivist academic center. But I have to say that my different points of view were respected. And actually, I even want to say, I was very touched recently. So I sent a group email to my colleague saying, look, I'm going to be leaving soon. Uh, I'm going to be working more with the Anran Institute. And the two most heartfelt letters, emails I got were from two people who 
you could categorize them more like Marx, who said, look, it was so fun engaging with you, talking with you. So I, there's always also the personal element. There's always the element of, are you a power luster who you use this, this, this monoculture in academia to, to impose your authority or to, impose, or to bully other people? Or are you a decent person who is also thinking about the university as, you know, they mentioned, for example, things like grade inflation, even many progressive people in academia would agree that these are problems. So academia has not treated me in a way where I should say, you know, it's all very, very bad. But its main problems, I would say, is not only its ideological conformity. It's mostly the very, very, very low status and the low expectation it has from students. And I was very glad to see this new university uh, when, when some of the key people explained what are the issues they want to solve. Grade inflation, for example, was very high. And this idea of what are the expectations you have from students. Quite often on Twitter, you see a viral post where it shows the curriculum, let's say from 70 or 100 years ago. And you see first year students having to deal with text, very, very heavy philosophical text that today you wouldn't even give perhaps except in graduate school. So we are not serving students by patting them on the back and telling them, look, there's not much to be expected from you. So what are we going to do here? We're going to tell you how to think. We're going to give you this, quote, credentialism. You're going to have this degree, which is, quote, accredited. And off you go, having acquired a, big, a huge debt and having spent three years and all that money. So I think students deserve better. So it's not just the ideological conformity, which is the that, problem. That's exactly right, Nikos. And, and, and you know, the, the founders of the university make exactly that point. And I'll just say, from the record, I, I, I didn't finish the OAC, the Objectivist Academic Center, but I started it and it is unaccredited. And I found it to be the most rigorous academic experience that I can remember, even going back to when I was in a, 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 a Ivy League accredited university. Um, your point, Nikos, about kind of what's going wrong now, the think about just from a cost perspective, this is again, quoting from the gentleman's article, the, the cost of a degree from four-year private college has doubled the cost from a degree from a public university is tripled. People have trillions of dollars of loans and 40% Nikos of people who actually go out to get that higher education don't get it at all. So they don't actually don't complete that degree. We wanna thank uh, Mary Lean for her contribution. She asked us to focus on some of the people behind and some of the ideas behind the university and Nikos. Their number one principle is unfettered, the unfettered pursuit of truth. Universities devoted to the unfettered pursuit of truth are the cornerstone of a free and flourishing democratic society. Let's and, pause here uh, for a second. Why is this sure. important? Because more and more you see university having as their mission statements, things such as social justice, impactful research towards the helping the marginalized and all that stuff. And these are, I mean, these might be important things, but this should not be the pursuit of the pursuit of knowledge. First of all, what is true? what is real, and then you can see when you know what is true and what is real, you can see whether there's an injustice, you can see what needs to be fixed. But when you start by saying, I'm basically a think tank, I'm basically on an activist pursuit, this can very easily go to directions which are the directions what we see today. So someone saying, my first horizon is the truth. First of all, that these people recognize that there is such thing as truth, which is very contested nowadays. So I, I think this is a very virtuous, uh, very virtuous statement. 
Yeah, I mean, that, and that's it, it's exciting. And I think you know, here's a just a, a, a now looks I've I haven't delved into it too deeply, but they're going to start beginning in summer of 22 with what they're calling the the forbidden courses. So they're starting with summer programs, but you know, they're they're aiming to have an undergraduate college available by 2024. And I'm sure a lot of it will be virtual, a lot of it will be, but I mean, my God, you'll maybe you'll have the chance to sit down and have a course with like Lex Friedman or Deidre McCluskey. I don't, I don't know a lot of these thinkers, but my sense is it's going to be an unbelievable opportunity and way more of a value than sending off. I don't even know how much is a college education right now. It's, it's got to be, I don't know, 20 or $30,000 a year for a, a fancy to do well to do school, maybe more when you get all done. So I mean, this is, this is such a great, now Bonnie's asking what will keep Austin from being more of the same? Now she's asking, you know, what will, you know, a lot of university started with kind of good intentions. What will stop uh, Austin from becoming just a reflection of the culture at large? Look, we don't know, but the mere fact that we're having this discussion about education and we're having it all the time. So in Ocon, we had Tal, Tal Sfani announcing the Ayn Rand University. Now, three months later, we see this announcement. Of course, the, these are not exactly the same thing, but we see people realizing that education is the next big thing that needs to be disrupted. Yes. So to be honest, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't even know if I agree with all these people, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is that we're having this discussion. And again, it, new universities by themselves are not going to change the culture. The issue is way more complex because it has this intertwining with politics. But again, we should be having these discussions for long now. And the fact that we're having it, I really salute these people who are pursuing it and... Uh, by the way, you mentioned and, 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 and Nikos and, and objectivists are part of it, and I think objectivists again were leading the charge. I mean, sharing now this is an article in the Objective Standard, going back literally twelve, almost twelve years ago. This is November twelfth. C. Bradley Thompson now writing an article about how em education emancipation is the moral imperative of our time. I mean, yes, straight on, and now. I mean, think about how even the technology has improved now. We can do distance learning. We can do, I mean, there wasn't even a Zoom uh, 10 years ago now. So, I mean, and, and, and leaders like uh, Lisa Van Dam with her school and now her show here on Ayn Rand Center UK, like we are helping. And I want objectivists like you, like Miss Van Dam, like Dr. Brooke uh, at the table at University of Austin, Nikos. We need to get you as speakers, as featured, as in the mix, um, because you want to talk about you know, dangerous courses and dangerous ideas. I mean, objectivism is as radical as they come. I think it's as American as they come. So let's make objectivism as part of, you know, and, and if you're out there, if you're watching this, reach out to the University of Objectivism uh, of Austin people, invite, encourage them to invite objectivists to be part of their curriculum as well. And also, since we mentioned Austin and Texas, let's not forget Greg Salmieri and he and the, the center, I think it's called Center for study of objectivism at the Salem Center uh, at the University of Texas at Austin. So Austin is becoming this hub of new ideas, this hub where interesting people are going. So this, this, is, this is the way to go forward, not just to complain, but to do something. And by the way, since you mentioned Lisa Van Damme, Lisa is in London. There's a live event on education on Thursday. So I would encourage people to go check uh, the social media of the Ayn Rand Center UK 
check there. I think it's on Meetup, on the Meetup page. I will be there on Thursday. So we're, we're going to discuss education also in person this Thursday with Lisa Van Damme and Joanna Williams, two very brave women uh, who, who have done, who are not, again, not only thinking, but doing things on education. Doing it, doing it. I mean, Lisa Van Damme started her own school. If I had a child, I would have to move to wherever, basically whatever Ray Gurn is doing with Higher Ground, what Lisa is doing. I mean, these there's a small handful of schools in the country, let alone the world, I think I would ever consider sending a child of mine to. And, you know, Bonnie, thank you for your contribution. She is, I think, uh, voicing at least, my frustration would be sending a kid to a school, quoting now Bonnie, academics have to do something, but they have no rational base. So it's a garbage built on emotionalism, nominalism, pragmatism, anti-conceptualism, altruism, altruism, et cetera. And once around Nikos, you see that emanate out of what's going on in these universities. He's like, uh, it's just tribalism. It's the most disgusting racism I can imagine. Certainly wasn't on campus when I can see it, but any green shoots, as we can say, that objectivism can be part of it being this new revolution in academia. You know, I believe these folks are doing with the University of Awesome. Lisa's a big part of it. And we, this, this is so much where our focus needs to be. And I'm glad you're coming out from old academia. You know, Rumsfeld used to talk about old Europe. That's old education. You know, ac the academia is old education. Accreditation is old. Ac you're part of the new education and objectivism is as well. So can I finish with reading some lines that when I was thinking about all this, for some reason, they came to my mind. So it's, it's not a poem. It's part of a speech by a guy who otherwise, you know, he wasn't the best president, Theodore Roosevelt, but he had the speech and there's a part of this speech which is called The Man in the Arena. And I want to read it because, again, we say all the time, something must be done, something must be done. And finally, people are doing something. Lisa, Tal these people. So I want to finish with these lines that yes. they came to my mind when I was thinking about this episode. So, quote, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who as the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievements, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. End of quote. This is how I view these people. I salute them. Again, I don't know if your university is going to be good. I'm way more optimist that the Iron Run University is going to be good because I know the insights, I know the people involved. But though all those people have my respect because they take great risks and they see something is wrong and they go there to fix it. So... And you, and you are part of it as well, Nico. So, you know, we salute you. Sammy is uh, supporting us. I know she's saluting you. I mean, you are all part of, I think, a new renaissance of education, of new minds. You know, people are always bitching about politics, but what you're doing with the Ayn Rand Center University and hopefully Austin, all this is we're creating going to be the next 
politicians, the next generation that will be, you know, that next comes in eight, 10, 10 years. It's not too far out. So you're creating those, those next minds. And so we're happy to support you. And we thank our supporters because you're supporting us. I mean, who else besides objectivism, objectivists are even talking about privatizing education. Like if you say that, they say, well, are you crazy? But, you know, we are helping to make some of those ideas mainstream. And I'll just say, you know, the draft was a big part of a, American life up until an objectivist, Martin Armstrong, who was influenced by Ayn Rand, brought it to Nixon, got the ball rolling, and all of a sudden the world changed. So, you know, how do you change the world? You speak, you are the man in the arena, as you said, so keep it up, my friend. We, we salute you and we salute our audience for being part of this, this, uh, this wonderful, exciting, it's, it's a struggle, but it's fun, right? I mean, you're, it's a struggle for the world that you want to live in. That's, that's, that's indeed the case. So I see there is a clubhouse room. Jonathan, do you want to open it? Because last time I tried to open a clubhouse room, I made a mess of it. Let's see if our, our audience has some thoughts on that. And again, see you all hopefully Thursday in London, seven o'clock, I think, with Lisa Van Damme and Joanna Williams. So it's the first time that Lisa is in Europe. Let's be there to say hi to her, listen to what she has to say. And it's going to be a roundtable discussion that I'll be sharing with Lisa and Joanna and contribution from our audience. And it would be good if we can cut a coffee before the event in London. I'll be in London from relatively early in the day. So that's all for today. Again, all we're saying is this is good that we have new endeavors. It's good that people are asking questions and are not just complaining. And let's see what's going to come out of these things. Jonathan, thank you very much. Yes. And thank you, Nikos. Thank you, Marilene. Reminds me, it's Martin Anderson. And don't miss that with Lisa. She is a huge star in education, in objectivism. Ayn Rand Center UK is bringing it to you, and you are helping us do that. So we'll see you And she's the kind of person that even if she talks about the weather, you want to listen to what she has to say. She's this kind of engaging and emotion-arousing person. So I would encourage people to to show up in London. Okay. We'll see you in Clubhouse. Clubhouse.